Amen. Amen. Good worship tonight. Revelation 18. We are getting down there. Also, if you would turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to go there real quickly tonight. 1 John 2, 15, but also Revelation 18, if you mark both of those. Just a reminder, too, coming out of worship and music, one of the things that God reminded me of today was that let's not forget that God uses music as a vehicle, as an instrument, no pun intended, as a conduit to minister to us and speak to us. And let's also be aware, obviously, Satan's always counterfeiting what God does. That's why Satan uses music for the very same thing. So that's why music is a way for God to connect with us. You see that throughout the Scriptures. Just a reminder tonight. So, in the weeks to come... My personal opinion, we're coming to the most exciting chapters of the book of Revelation because we're going to talk next week about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the establishment of the millennial kingdom and a lot of questions about what's the kingdom going to be like. We're not going to, obviously, it's not exhaustive. We're not going to answer all the questions about the millennial kingdom. There's a lot of information in the Old Testament. But we're going to answer a lot of questions about what's the kingdom going to be like here on earth. And then after that, what little bit the Bible reveals about what heaven, the eternal state is like. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come as well. So a lot of great stuff. Tonight, we sort of come to the end of man's kingdom. Because what has to happen before the establishment of Christ's kingdom on earth is that man's kingdoms are laid waste. And what we see here is really the fall of man's kingdoms, if you will. How man's kingdoms and all that man works for apart from God, one day is going to crumble. And as we talked about the last couple of weeks, the Bible uses the concept of Babylon to illustrate that. My own personal belief is that Babylon here in Revelation stands for, at one time, a literal city and will also stand for a literal city down the road, but also, more importantly, for a worldwide system that is basically underneath this worldwide rebellion against God. It started, as we talked about last week, all the way back in Genesis at the Tower of Babel. I personally do not believe that Babylon here is literally going to be the Babylon that Saddam Hussein tries to tried to rebuild in the desert, the historical city of Babylon. I personally think that the Babylon that is referred to here is simply referring to, at one time, it's going to be the headquarters, if you will, or the capital city of the Antichrist kingdom. I don't know where that's at. 
I don't think it's literal Babylon in the Middle East, but I do think one day there will be a headquarters, a capital city of the Antichrist kingdom. And I believe the Bible refers to that city as Babylon. But more importantly, I believe that Babylon also, again, refers to this spirit that we talked about last week, this system, if you will, that is constantly bent on rebelling against God's authority. And that's why, before we get into Revelation 18, I wanted you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, because this is exactly what John, the same guy that wrote Revelation, is talking about in 1 John 2, 15, when he says these words, do not love the world, talking to Christians. Now, obviously, he's not talking about people. He's not saying don't love the people of the world. He's describing here a system that he also refers to in Revelation as Babylon. And notice the characteristics of this system. He says, do not love the world or the things, the material things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because all that is in the world, this Babylonian world system of godless humanism that we talked about last week, is characterized by these things. The desire of the flesh that will never be satisfied, the desire of the eyes, and the arrogance produced by material possessions. And these things are not from the Father but is from the world. And notice, and the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. And the reason I wanted to read those verses tonight in preparation for Revelation 18 is because those verses really have set a great backdrop for exactly what we're going to see in Revelation 18. That the people who do the will of God and, 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 and what God does is lasting. It is eternal. But all that man does apart from God one day is going to crumble and will cease to exist and be laid waste by God one day. And that's what we see here in Revelation 18. Now, as we approach this chapter, and we're going to get into it in just a minute, one other thing I want you to notice here tonight, and that is the swiftness the decisiveness, the completeness with which the world's kingdoms and all that man focuses on, how quickly it can be taken. So it's a good lesson for us. And so I want us to look at this tonight, beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 18. After these things, I saw another angel who possessed great authority coming down out of heaven and the earth. And he, he lit up the earth by his radiance. And he began shouting with a powerful voice. Before we get into his message, I want to encourage us tonight that, that this angel shares some things that you and I share as well because we are followers of God. First of all, God grants us, his followers, his authority. We talked about that in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission where Jesus says, I have all authority and I grant it to you. Go in my authority, just like the angel here. And then God gives us light 
to be a light, to shine. And that's exactly what the word means here. That the angel came down and because he was coming from the very presence of God, he, he was lighting up by his splendor and by his brilliance everything that he came in contact with. And then when he spoke... He spoke with such a strong, sure voice. That's what the word mighty, powerful means here in verse 2. And that's the way God wants us to, to be able to speak and to live. He wants us to have such confidence in Him and in what He said that when we do speak, we speak very strongly. We speak very surely because we know of what we're talking about because it's not us who said these things, it's God. And we can place our absolute hope and confidence in these things. So I want you to see tonight that even though this is an angelic messenger coming from God with this message about the fall of man's kingdoms, that right off the bat, you and I can be encouraged because we share so much with this angelic messenger. And then here's his message. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. The word fallen here means to descend from a higher place to a lower place. From an erect position to a prostrate position. It it is a term sort of a humbling, unbelievable humbling. It's the idea that here these great kingdoms of the world that have been built up and where man thinks they're going to last and all of this are going to come to an end so quickly and be brought low. And yet again, here's the the difference with us is God takes us in such a low state when we come poor in spirit and humble ourselves before God and He raises us up to be with Him in the heavens. So God brings down all that is apart from Him and raises up all that are with Him. And we can be thankful of that. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Her fall is so bad that John says that she has become a a lair for demons. Literally, a habitation, an abode of evil spirits. A haunt for every unclean spirit. A haunt for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detested beast. In other words, John is saying here, as we talked about last week, there's a spiritual component to what we can see, touch, and feel. And even though the kingdoms of the world can be very, you know, mesmerizing and and, and in awe of all that that man builds and, and all of that, that there's demonic spirits behind it all because it is this system that is pervading and entrenched in the world that gets people to focus rather than on God and on eternal things. It gets them to focus on exactly what John talked about in 1 John. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust for more and more material things. And that's what man in this world is going after, as we talked about last week. Personal peace and affluence. It's all about more and more and more. And never satisfied. And we have to recognize, even as Christians, we're going to see that even though we're not present during this period, that obviously we're present now and this system still exists and has been existing and God does not want us to get caught up in it and to begin to have that same value system in our lives that the world without God has. 
He wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. For in verse 3, he says, All the nations have fallen from the wine of her immoral passion, the influence, the intoxicating, disorienting, illicit, burning passion of Babylon. The kings, the leaders of the earth, have committed sexual immorality with her. They've been drawn into idolatry. And we talked about how the, the immorality idolatry is really interchangeable in the New Testament. And the merchants of the earth, verse 3, have gotten rich from the power of her sensual behavior. The word sensual behavior in the Greek literally means strength of luxury. There's this deceptive but strength of luxury. We're going to talk a little bit about that. By the way, I thought this was interesting. The word merchant here literally in the Greek means trader. And when you think today of traders, what do you think of? Wall Street. And I think you're going to see today that what's said in Revelation 18... Now, please, I'm not saying that all traitors are, you know, doomed to the eternal lake of fire. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but that system, I think you can see it in Revelation 18. You're going to continue to see it. So anyway, the word merchant here literally means traitor. Verse 4, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out from her, my people. Don't again get caught up in this system because you do not want to take part in her sins or literally the judgment of her sins so that you will not receive her plagues. So even at this time during the tribulation, even the final days of the tribulation, God is telling his people who've come to know him during the tribulation, get out of this system. Don't be a part of this system. It is doomed to fail. It is doomed to crumble. It will not last. Because her sins have piled up all the way to heaven. Just like the Tower of Babel was literally built and they were trying to build this tower up to heaven, her sins have piled up to heaven all the way. And God, notice verse 5, has remembered her crimes or her evil doings. Now let me say this. God has remembered her crimes, but God remembers our sins no more. There's the difference. There's the difference. God casts our sin into the depth of the sea. He separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers her crimes because they never came to him and asked him to cover their sin, to forgive their sin like we have. So God says, repay her the same way, verse 6, she repaid others. Give her back, recompense her what is due. In fact, pay her back double corresponding to her deeds. In the cup she mixed, mix double the amount for her. And here's where the pride of material possessions and, and all of this comes into play in verse 7. As much as she exalted herself, she magnified herself. She lived in sensual luxury. The word in the Greek means excess, extravagance. 
This is way beyond need. And it's one of the things that God even has to deal with us about as Christians because so often we think we need more than what we really need. And God is saying the whole world has gotten caught up in living for excess, way more than they need. And when I do bless them, instead of them using that excess maybe to lay up treasure in heaven and invest in eternal things or bless someone else, they keep piling up excess. It reminds us of the story of the rich young ruler who kept building these bigger barns to house all the stuff that he had. And God confronted him by saying, tonight you fool, your soul's required of you. And then where is all that stuff going to go? There's never been a U-Haul hooked up behind a hearse that I can know of. And you see the pride here. Notice, to this extent, verse 7, give her torment and grief because she said to herself, I rule as queen. It's a phrase in the Greek language. It means, I have a fixed abode. In other words, I'm good, I'm secure. In fact, she goes on to say, I'm no widow. Sort of a strange term, but in, in Bible times, the word widow had a meaning of deficiency. In other words, when, when someone was widowed, obviously they had lost something very dear, their husband, if you will, and, and there was always that idea of deficiency. So when he uses this phrase, it seems maybe a little strange or out of place, what she's saying is, I'm not deficient in anything. I got everything that I need, which is exactly the struggle that, that those who have so much of this world's goods have. That's why Jesus said it can be harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle because they don't understand that they have any need because everything that they think they need can somehow be bought by what they materially have or been taken care of by what they materially have. And the greatest need of man cannot be bought with any kind of material possession. And then she says, I will never experience grief. Literally, I'll, I'll never be affected. We talked about that last week as being part of the godless humanism. That personal peace. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to wall myself off. I'm not going to allow myself to be affected by anything that goes on around me with other people. And by the way, I just want to say this. I didn't say this last week to you all. Just how I, I wanted to encourage you Sunday with your generosity and all of that. And you all as a group of people are so unlike that. I mean, just the opposite. You know, you care about each other. You, you, you are sensitive to what others go through. You, you don't wall yourself off. You, you want to be a part of a church where you can truly be connected to each other and care about each other and, and rejoice when one is rejoicing and weep when one is weeping. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the kind of church we're trying to build here and get Christians to see it. That's the way God designed a local church. I'll even illustrate it this way and then I've got to move on. We want people who are willing to marry us, not just date us. And see, today, in the, in the culture of Christianity, Christians want to date a church. But that's not biblical. When God calls us to a church, He calls us to marry that church. 
and to treat our brothers and sisters in that local church just like we would being in a marriage. You see, it's hard for Christians to grasp that, and yet it's clearly taught in the Word of God. We're not looking for people to come to the oasis who just want to date us. Now, if they want to date us for a while to see if they want to marry us, that's okay. But eventually, eventually, biblically, they got to make the commitment. That's the only way God designed the church to work, you see. Anyway, got off on that. For this reason, verse 8, notice, she will experience her plagues, here it is, in a single day. Swift, decisive, complete. Disease, mourning, famine. She will be burned down, consumed with fire. Remember, God is a consuming fire, the book of Hebrews says, because the Lord God who judges her is powerful. Our Redeemer is powerful. And though man stands in awe of man and what man has created, you and I need to learn to stand in awe of the power of God. Take this personally. Think about these next couple of days after tonight. What are some ways that I see evidence of God's power in my life that I can stand in awe of His power in my life? He's powerful. We, we, we talked about that a couple Sundays ago, and I was even reminded, you know, and it goes along with this tonight, instead of, you know, people thinking that somehow power is equated with material possessions, think about the story in the book of Acts. And by the way, I'm getting excited about that already, because I don't know whether I've shared this or not, but as soon as we get done the book of Revelation, we're jumping into a study of the book of Acts. And I'm so looking forward to that that study in the book of Acts. In a sense, we're going from the end of church history to now the beginning again and seeing what that's all like. But I love the story of Peter there in Acts chapter 4 where he was passing by this gentleman and he, he fastens his eyes on him, the book of Acts says. And he says to the man, silver and gold have I none. I don't have any material things to give you, but I got something better. I've got Jesus, and in the name of Jesus, I'm commanding you, rise up and walk. And the man was healed, because Peter understood, there's way more power in the name of Jesus, and having Jesus in my life, than any silver and gold could give me. And that's what the church needs to realize today. That our power doesn't come from our material possessions, it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in Him. So then verse 9, Then the kings of the earth who committed immoral acts with her, who were swept and drawn away into idolatry with her, who lived in sensual luxury, again an excess, and extravagance with her, will mourn and weep and wail for her when they see the smoke from the fire that burns her up. They will stand, notice, a long way off because they are afraid of her torment and they'll say, whoa, whoa, an exclamation of grief, O great city. Babylon, the powerful city. Notice again, in a single hour now, your doom has come. The kingdoms of the earth, notice how quickly God consumes them and they crumble. All that man works for 
And notice how quickly it can be taken. You and I know that even as Christians. I mean, we can go on and thinking, okay, this, and then all of a sudden something happens and boop, that's gone. That's why every once in a while it's good to sing that, that pray, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Because it reminds like, oh, he gave, oh, but there it goes. Because it, as quickly as some things come into our life, they can go. And that should remind us that we shouldn't put our hope or faith or anything in things that can go so quickly, but put our hope and faith in God and His Word. Because that's what's happening here. The kingdoms of the earth are crumbling because they're built on shifting sand, not on the rock of Jesus Christ. Then, notice, the merchants, the traders of the earth will weep and mourn, verse 11, for her because no one buys their cargo any longer. No one literally will be in the marketplace. That's what the word buy means. To be in the marketplace. Cargo such as gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth. All sorts of things made of citron wood, citrus wood, all sorts of objects made of ivory. All sorts of things made of expensive wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, perfumed ornament, ointment, excuse me, frankincense, wine, olive oil, costly flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, four-wheeled carriages, and don't miss this, slaves and human lives. Do you realize the Bible is teaching us here in Revelation 18 that there was going to come such a thing as human trafficking? That's exactly what he's talking about here. The selling of human lives. Human trafficking. That is an unbelievable problem today in our world. People being bought and sold. Not just as slaves. But on a market. Folks, you and I might not be aware of it. And frankly, I don't want to get involved in that world. But it is a dominant part of our society today. And the Bible predicted that long, long ago. 2,000 years ago, in fact. Verse 14, the ripe fruit you greatly desired, you longed for, you craved, has gone from you. All your luxury, all your excess, all your superfluity and splendor and elegance have gone from you. Literally been taken. And notice, they will never, ever be found again. Never acquired, never obtained, because in heaven, it's all there. And where these folks are gone who've rejected Christ, it's not going to be there. It's not going to matter. The merchants, again, verse 15, who sold these things, who got rich or affluent from her, will stand a long way off because they're afraid of her torment. They will weep and mourn again, saying, Whoa, whoa, great city. Dressed in fine linen, purple, scarlet clothing, adorned with gold, precious stones, pearls, in a single hour, third time. Such great wealth has been destroyed, literally laid waste. Boom, gone. Doesn't it remind you of when the markets crash and people lose like, millions of dollars in like no time at all? You think that's something? Wait till this day comes. 
No stock market crash in history is going to compare with this crash of all the world's kingdoms. Every ship's captain, all who sail along the coast, seamen and all who make their living from the sea, stood a long way off and began to shout when they saw the smoke from the fire that burned her up. Who is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were shouting and weeping and mourning and saying, Whoa, whoa, great city in which all those who had ships on the sea got rich from her wealth because here's the last time this is mentioned. In a single hour, she has been destroyed. Four times in this chapter, John says, It happens so swiftly, so decisively, so completely. Everything was gone. Everything that these people worked for, everything that they put their hope and trust in, gone. Let's flip that around for just a minute before we move on. Aren't you thankful? Our lives are not just placed in what can be so easily taken away, but that our lives are built on something that's going to last forever. To me, it just shows the unbelievable contrast between those who have faith in God and build their lives on what's lasting and eternal and secure and stable and what man apart from God builds his life on. It's gone in such a short amount of time. Notice the praise. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven! Be glad, be delighted, the place of worship, heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has pronounced judgment against her on your behalf. Listen, they're not rejoicing that all these people are going to be sent into a Christless eternity. They're rejoicing because of what this judgment of God is bringing. It is bringing in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what they're rejoicing over. They take no pleasure just like God in these lost souls being sent out into eternity. But what they are rejoicing in is that finally man's kingdom is being wiped away and God's kingdom is going to be established on earth once and for all. That's something to rejoice about. That's why Jesus again taught his followers to pray. Pray this. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. One day that prayer of ours will be realized one day. And it's about ready to be realized here in the predictive prophecy that is the book of Revelation. Then one powerful angel, verse 21, picked up a stone like a huge millstone, threw it into the sea and said, with this kind of sudden violent force, Babylon the great city will be thrown down and it will never be found or seen again. And the sound of the harpists, musicians, flute players, trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman who practices any trade will ever be found in you again. The noise of a mill will never be heard in you again. Even the light from a lamp will never shine in you again. The voices of the bridegroom and his bride will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the tycoons of the world, the movers and shakers... Because all the nations were deceived by your magic spells. The seduction of this idolatry. The desire for more and more material possessions that can never really be 
satisfied. The destruction of Babylon here in Revelation is very similar to the destruction of the city of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 28 and also very similar to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. This isn't the first time God has laid waste to some place. But here, don't forget, this isn't just going to be the capital city of the Antichrist. This is describing a worldwide crumbling of man's kingdom so that what John talked about in Revelation 11, that the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, that's what this is ushering in. And notice also, the blood of the saints and prophets was also found or discovered in her, along with the blood of all those who had been killed on the earth. A lot of violence, along with all these material possessions. I wanted to leave you with something for us as Christians to also focus on besides what we've been confronted with here in Revelation 18. How can we take what we've obviously been taught here by the Spirit in Revelation 18, and how can we somehow practically apply the principle of what's going on here, the underlying principle of building our lives on eternal, solid things and not building them on the temporal, not not lasting things of the world? And and God directed me to this passage that I would like to read in closing tonight. So I'd like you to turn and follow along with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And by the way, I had planned on this even before I was going to do this tonight. After I get done the series on Romans sometime this fall, I'm going to do a four-week series out of 1 Timothy 6 on biblical contentment. What does it mean to be a contented Christian. And we're going to talk about that for four weeks. Out of this passage, we're going to read tonight 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to begin reading uh, just in verse 1, just because it's easier just to read the whole chapter. And I'm really not going to make any comment on it, so in five minutes I should be able to read this chapter. And, and here's what I, here's my goal. As we read this chapter tonight, Obviously, it's not all applicable to the whole how do we deal with material possessions and how do we look at these things and all that, but a lot of it is. And I would just encourage you to ask the Spirit of God to maybe bring you back to this passage, to maybe read it some, meditate on it. Maybe there's something that out of this chapter that really jumps out at you. Again, in the fall, I want us to focus on, because I think that's what this chapter is all about is, how do, I, how do I learn to be content? What's contentment mean? That's the big takeaway for me in this chapter. So I'm just going to begin reading. Those who are under the yoke as slaves must regard their own masters as deserving of full respect. This will prevent the name of God and Christian teaching from being discredited. But those who have believing masters must not show them less respect because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve all the more because those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Teach them and exhort them about these things. If someone spreads false teachings and does not agree with sound words, that is, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and with the teaching that accords with godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in controversies and verbal disputes. This gives rise to envy, dissension, slanders, evil suspicions, and constant bickering by people corrupted in their minds and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a way of making a profit. Now, godliness combined with contentment brings great profit. For we have brought nothing into this world, and so we cannot take a single thing out either. If we have food and shelter, we will be satisfied with that. Those who long to be rich, however, stumble into temptation and a trap and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. Some people, in reaching for it, have strayed from the faith and stabbed themselves with many pains. But you, as a person dedicated to God, keep away from all that. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith and lay hold of that eternal life you were called for and made your good confession for in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you before God who gives life to all things and Christ Jesus who made his good confession before Pontius Pilate to obey this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ who's appearing the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords will reveal at the right time. He alone possesses immortality and lives in unapproachable light whom no human has ever seen or is able to see. To Him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this world's goods not to be haughty or to set their hope on riches which are uncertain, but on God who richly provides us all things for our enjoyment. Tell them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous givers, sharing with others. In this way, they will save up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the future and so lay hold of what is truly life. O Timothy, protect what has been entrusted to you. Avoid the profane chatter and absurdities of so-called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. God, we pray tonight that, Lord, you would use the truth of Revelation 18, the reality that one day all that we see in this world, all that man has done apart from you, all that man invests his time and energy to build and to store and to heap up, to live for, one day, Lord, will be gone laid waste, destroyed. It will all crumble. It will not last. It is not eternal. God, help us to lay beside Revelation 18 this passage from 1 Timothy 6, which really gives us as Christians great insight into how we should approach living in a world where so much emphasis is placed on 
material things and physical things. Help us, Lord, to take the truth of 1 Timothy 6 and and contrast it with the end of Revelation 18. So that, Lord, we don't get caught up in the value system of the world. That, Lord, we don't live for things that won't last. Things that one day, Lord, won't matter and that we can't take with us into eternity. Help us to live for the most important things, for eternal things. Help us to invest in your kingdom rather than in man's kingdoms. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, next week, the second coming of Jesus. Hope you can be with us. Thanks for being here tonight.